everybody. Welcome back to another edition of the Untitled Jeff Gluck Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Gluck, and today it's a How I Got Here version of the podcast with Holly Kane, the longtime racing journalist who is now with the NASCAR Wire Service. I've known Holly for a long time and seen her go through a recent battle with breast cancer and really appreciate her perspective on life in the world as well as the NASCAR journalism and the beat. So I wanted to be able to sit down with her and ask her about both those things. So we will dive into her career story as well as some of the perspective she's gained through her battle. So without further ado, let's hear how Holly Kane got to where she is today. All right, everybody, I'm here with my dear friend, Holly Kane. Holly, I'm so appreciative that you agreed to do this. And I'm uh, thinking that out of all the time that we've spoken over the years, I don't really know if I know like the whole story of your career path. So I'm excited to to find out. So thank you for doing this. Well, thank you for having me. I genuinely feel honored to be a part of this, Jeff. Oh, wow. I love uh, I love listening to these. So oh, great. cool. That's awesome. Well, you know the format uh, a little bit, so I'll start by asking you what you do now, what your job entails uh, right now. So now I am a writer for the NASCAR Wire Service. I work out of their Daytona Beach office, and I help do all of the previews that go out on the wire for all of the cup races and, uh, to a certain extent, the statistical previews for the um, Xfinity and also the Camping World Truck Series races. And so during the week, provide all of the advanced information that we send out to over a hundred different outlets across the country to be able to use uh, in their newspaper, magazine, whatever their outlet is. So as, as uh, coverage has been uh, a little bit lessened, um, NASCAR has sort of stepped up with its own service essentially to provide content for newspapers or other outlets that might want racing coverage essentially and you're, you're doing that yeah. right and then reed spencer covers the actual races on the weekend and sometimes i will go out and help as well and i also get to do some uh emsa things which i love because that was kind of my start in racing so i love doing that as well okay well um i'm interested in your uh, career path and i know you've um, had several different jobs all around the country and things like that so um, let's just start with the beginning. Did you grow up thinking that you wanted to do something in media? Did you did you always want to be a, a reporter or anything like that? You know, um, oddly enough, I did my whole entire life. That's really? all I ever wanted to do. Um, I can remember back when we had big tape recorders. I don't mean little ones. I mean huge tape recorders. And I would simply read the newspaper into the tape recorder and pretend like <laughs> I was doing the evening news. Now, my father was a sportscaster and a newscaster, so I get that part, honestly. And my mom uh, is an English teacher, taught high school English for almost 40 years. So, I mean, if you think about those two things, journalism kind of makes sense. But I, uh, I definitely took after my dad, and and always was doing that. Where was he a newscaster? I don't think I knew. This. He worked in he worked all over the place. In fact, he used to do play by play. He did the New York Islanders hockey, did the Minnesota Twins, he did the Minnesota North Stars when the hockey team was still called that, and then he worked in uh, Seattle for many years, covered the SuperSonics when they were there, the Mariners, the Seahawks. So he's worked all had worked. He's passed away now, but he worked uh, all over the country. Wow! And what was his name? Ed Kane. Ed Kane. Mm-hmm. Wow! I hadn't well, see. I've already learned something about you, and uh, we just started. This interview so um did you tag along 
when you were growing up to some of the things he would a couple of the things I would you know yes I would go to some of the some of the football games maybe or the hockey games and and my parents have all sorts of photos of me with the with the players and things like that I mean I have photos of me with OJ Simpson I have (laughs) all of these great things and probably the coolest thing that really inspired me uh, in terms of my father was he actually when he was 22 years old when President Kennedy was shot he was working in a small radio station in Florida and actually drove to Dallas and is standing uh, in the police department building right alongside and actually ask a question to Lee Harvey Oswald when he was killed and my father is in movies he's in all sorts of clips and photos from that so that was always kind of a really neat thing to see what kind of a journalist he was that he would pick up and go and then as it turns out be feet away from one of the biggest stories in the history of our country. What did what did he say over the years about that moment and being there when Lee Harvey Oswald was shot, like right in, in front of him and stuff? Well, it was a very career-defining moment for him, and I think that it helped him greatly. He, Like I said, he was only 21, 22 years old, right out of college when he did that. So I think it shows, uh, and what it always showed me was uh, you have to go get the story. You can't sit in a press room and, and expect it to come to you. It, he just was a, a shining example of what to do journalistically and always was and, and was was there for me to help me for many years. So did you go to to school, everything? I mean, that whole, you were 100% on that career path? I was, I was writing for the elementary school newspaper, the junior high, the senior high, the college newspaper. I was one of those people. So I did, and I wanted to do journalism. I wanted to do television journalism. Um, but back when I graduated, I went to University of South Florida in Tampa. And when I graduated uh, in 1989, it was still, um, it wasn't such an easy path for a woman to be on television in sports anyway. Mm-hmm. That still wasn't the way to do it. So it seemed like uh, I was told you need to get really good at writing about it and then show that you have the knowledge. And once you have the knowledge, we can put you on television. Wow. It wasn't, we'll put you on television and and. And, and help you from that point on. It was you show us that you know the sport, that you know how to ask questions, you can do the interviews, and you can write stories and no proper news judgment. And then, and as it turned out, uh, that just didn't end up the path that I took. I, I wasn't on television that way. So, But I, I love it. I love, I love my career. I tell my kids all the time, how lucky am I that I am doing something that I still love to this day, every day I love working. Yeah, that's really, that's incredible and something that a lot of people, I think, strive for but can't always um, get to do. Um, so after you got out of college, obviously, you didn't just land, um, you know, at the top of the profession. What what did you start out covering and, and doing? Well, I don't know if I can share this little story with you, but I did not take a job in sports right away. I took a job at a little newspaper in Florida and up in the panhandle. And I lived with my best friend in Tallahassee. She was at Florida State. And where I worked in Mariana was an hour on the different time zones. So that was kind of weird. I would go to work and be in one time zone and come home and it would be on another. But this is important because it really helped me decide I was not cut out to be a news writer. I can remember... um, that I had to go and do uh, just kind of man-on-the-street interviews. And so I went to the local Winn-Dixie to do it, and I was just interviewing anyone that would stop and give me the time of day. And I remember I interviewed these two gentlemen, and they were kind of flirty with me, so much to the point where they were like, 
you know, it, it, it was uncomfortable for me. And they're like, well, we just live, blah, 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 real close to here. You got to come, blah, blah, blah. So, um, and part of it, I had to take their photograph okay. to include with their answer to my man on the street question. Mm -hmm. So I get back to the office and I turn in the photos that I took and I start writing and the editor comes up to me and he's like, Holly, did you not see the front page of the paper today? And I'm like, yes. And he goes, you see these two men on the front page for robbing a bunch of pharmacies in the area. <laughs> oh my These gosh. are the two guys for your man on the street. And I said, well, as a matter of fact, they told me where they live. So <laughs> I told my editor who called the police and they arrested him. So no way. it's kind of a funny story, but needless to say, I just, I was not cut out for the hard <laughs> news. I didn't feel like, so I um, went back and took a job at the Sebring News Sun in Sebring, Florida, which is about an hour south of my hometown of Lakeland. And uh, that's where my career really took off in terms of sports and, and certainly with auto racing, as you would imagine. Huh. Wow. So no wonder you have uh, an affinity for um, for sports cars then if you were near the Sebring track and getting an exposure with that, I assume. Yes, absolutely. Um, but did you, at that point, were you thinking that racing could be a path that you ended up for like a full-time profession or was that still not clear at that, at that it time? It definitely wasn't clear. I mean, I was still in my 20s and I was still, racing was just one of the things I covered. And mm -hmm. and looking back at my career now, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that I had racing and that I had that as a steady uh, part of my job as a sports writer. I worked for the small Sebring newspaper that only came out twice a week. And then I got hired to the Tampa Tribune. And while I was at the Tampa Tribune, I got to cover the New York Yankees. Their spring training is in Tampa. I would fly around back before the um, Tampa Bay Rays existed. We kind of had adopted the New York Yankees. George Steinbrenner lived in Tampa. So, you know, and it was really kind of neat. I mean, I can remember George Steinbrenner returning my phone calls at home. And, really? Yeah. I, I mean, so you get I, a call and it's like, this is George Steinbrenner. Exactly. Where I would call and he'd take my call right away. I mean, it wow. was amazing. And so I got to do, <laughs> I know. So I did that. I covered the Tampa Bay Bucks and um, really just a whole lot of general assignment things. But always the one thing that carried throughout my career was covering racing. And back then, uh, a lot of EMSA, the GTP program. And then I'd go up to Daytona for the 500 and, and all of that. How long did you spend at the Tampa paper? I was there, I think about 11 or 12 years. So wow. I spent, I spent quite a, quite a while there. Um, so did you think at that point that that was like, were you thinking you're set for life and you're just going to stay there like as long as you wanted? Well, I, I was really fortunate because I had other papers kind of reach out to me with, you know, fantastic opportunities. And, and the, in fact, <laughs> I, I loved working at the Tribune. I had a job offer from one paper that was bigger than, uh, than Tampa, another big city in Florida. But I loved the people that I worked with so much. And my coworkers used to laugh at me. They were like, well, they can't give you any more money, but they gave you a better typewriter <laughs> and a desk by the window. And you turned down whatever the difference was in money to stay because of the people. So wow. I did learn that lesson early on. But um, I worked there for, for quite a while. And, but I always did want to, to see where I could go. You know, I, mm -hmm. I didn't get married young. I was, I was kind of very open to things. And mm -hmm. so I, I was lucky to have another opportunity at the, at the Dallas morning news that I took. So at the time when you went to Dallas, um, I believe that was when they were like at the sort of at the peak. Um, I was aware of Dallas morning news, you know, in college as like the top sports section. I think they had 
something like uh, over we were, 150 writers or something like we that? We had a huge staff. And in fact, the newspaper, the sports section was, was like a book. I mean, it, it was great. And we had, uh, you know, we had all these freelance, I mean, freelance, we had general assignment reporters that could go and basically anything, if you could sell that it was an interesting story, you know, you could go and do that. And we had all these fabulous columnists and, and the people, you know, still to this day, I see them around the country and, and the different things that they're doing. And some are still in Dallas and some are at other newspapers doing other things. But you're right. It was a huge staff. Dave Smith was our uh, sports editor at the time. And uh, it was really a time of great opportunity and very, um, I will tell you, it was a very rigorous job. Um, I, I did not, the, the way it was run was a lot different than Tampa. I mean, when you showed up, they had gone over and if you had a mistake, if you had a type you had to answer to absolutely everything in your column. You had to make, uh, you had to explain why you wanted to write this story versus that story. I mean, it was very uh, good like that, but it certainly snapped you into some fabulous journalism. Wow. I can't imagine the editing that you must have gotten there to make you better. And um, obviously sounds harsh and strict sometimes, but um, it helped. It helped. You need it, right? Right. So uh, what were you um, covering there in Dallas for the time you were there? Well, the Texas Motor Speedway had just opened a mm-hmm. year before, so I was doing that, and I was the, primarily the, the motorsports writer, and I had a whole page every week that was all motorsports, and I loved it. I did the NHRA. They had two races in Dallas at the time. There were two, uh, at that point, IRL races there. Um, that's when Tony Stewart was racing in the IRL, as a matter of fact. Some absolutely fantastic races on that big oval, and, uh, and NASCAR obviously was there and that was kind of the time where they were still trying to get a second race so every year I was writing that story I remember so was it when you're like trying to um, back then when the sports section was so huge um, was it easy to pitch those stories like were they embracing that you were doing NASCAR and motorsports and things like that they did they liked it and you know it was such it was still a relatively new regular beat mm-hmm. to the paper and you know they were very interested in the drivers and the different places and and you know their backgrounds and things like that I also covered the Dallas Cowboys um, not as a beat writer, but I, I went to their away games. I mean, I wrote sidebars for them all season. And so that was really neat to be a part of, although that was kind of on the downswing of the Emmett Smith, Troy Aikman days, they were just finishing up. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of that weird time for the Cowboys. In fact, I lived across the street from, um, in Valley ranch. I lived across the street from the, from the Dallas, Dallas Cowboys, uh, wow. complex. And I remember that I was supposed to be ready to run over there if I ever needed to, cause there was constant coaching change then. And Barry Switzer was the coach one of the years I was there. So it, it was great again. I mean, I just felt so lucky to be a part of all of that. Yeah. So um, this is uh, late 90s, early 2000s that you were there? Yes, late 90s, uh uh-huh. And so then um, you end up going to Seattle next, right? How did that happen? Well, I ended up uh, getting married, and the person I married was in the uh, United States Special Forces, the Army Special Forces, and Mm -hmm. that's where they were based was Seattle. And it was interesting because I had just accepted a job with USA Today and was going to go out there and then uh, was engaged just weeks later and to call USA Today back up and say, I'm going to be unable to take this job as it turns out because I had to live in Seattle and you had to live over in Maryland or Virginia if you worked for USA Today. But at any rate, so I moved out to Seattle and and went west and um, really had a fantastic time getting them to start thinking about motorsports. It wasn't something huge on those newspapers' radar, but I convinced the Seattle Post-Intelligencer to hire me. I did general 
assignment work, but it also turned out to be the same time a kid named Casey Kane was coming up. Greg Biffle was coming up. Mm -hmm. And of course, um, Derek Cope had won the uh, Daytona 500 and he was from actually a small little town right by where I lived. So I I was able to kind of pull that off. (laughs) So the fact that NASCAR at the time was on the rise, you go to the editors, they're not covering it and you're like, hey, um, I just moved here. I have all the speed experience, you know, I can help you guys. And they, at the time, were accepting of that. They were. And it wasn't just NASCAR at that point either. Mm -hmm. I would still cover like Portland for the, you know, for IndyCar and things like that. But definitely NASCAR was the primary thing that I feel like I was really kind of a part of the change there. They had local short track racing. Kevin Hamlin, who Mm -hmm. um, is a spotter for Alec Bowman, I believe. Alex Mm -hmm. Bowman now. Yeah. he was out there just tearing it up. He was one of the stars on the local short tracks at that time. So wow. it was a great time for me to be there in terms of having racing coincide with people out in the Northwest. So then when did you leave um, Seattle? And when, then what was after that? I, uh, I left in 2003 okay. and uh, took a job with AOL Sports. They. Uh, this is the... The start of the fan yes, house? Yes, fan stuff? house at fan the very house. beginning. And that was that was absolutely wonderful, too. And again, I, I got to kind of dictate what the coverage was going to be and do a lot of takeout pieces. I got to, I went out and spent a week in El Cajon to do a big Jimmy Johnson feature. when, um, And that was amazing to me, to meet the people, to see the house where he grew up, to do all of this kind of behind the scenes that no one had done before. And uh, so that was one of my most special things. I covered uh, the Indy 500 with Chip Ganassi. I was in his pits when Dario Franchitti won. And I remember thinking, okay, so this is how this story is going to do. And he said, no, we're taking a plane and we're flying up to Charlotte. We're going to go up to the 600. And Jamie McMurray almost won that race. I think Kurt Busch won and Jamie finished second to him. And then after that, we flew back to Indianapolis later that night. So I'd been at the Indy 500, the Coke 600, and then flew back to Indy that night. So just So you did the double. I did the double. Wow. That's pretty cool. (laughs) Yeah. It was a lot of fun. I, I, I feel so fortunate for the opportunities that I've had. And I'm not just saying that. I mean, I really, you can tell, I get really excited talking about it. So AOL Fan House was maybe somewhat ahead of its time or either too ambitious because they hired a bunch of excellent writers. They staffed up and then it all just folded just like that, right? I mean, there wasn't a lot of warning or decline like it just suddenly was like all right we're done am i I getting this right there there was a text message that we all needed to be on a conference call in 20 minutes and what year what year was this i want to say maybe 2010 11 i'm not sure exactly Mm -hmm. i'm not sure so you're you're just riding high and thinking nothing's coming and all of a sudden yeah it was fabulous the rugs just pulled out from underneath they uh, they went a different direction and so a lot of us, um, and interestingly enough, when I worked at Fan House, a whole lot of people that I had worked with in Tampa and in Dallas had taken jobs with, a, with it as well. So it was kind of cool. Like I knew all of my coworkers already because they had taken a lot of them from there. So you lose your job. Mm-hmm. Um, what's your reaction and what do you, what do you do to try to, I mean, you have kids. Right. So I was, you know, mom, I was president of the PTA. I was all of those things. And so I I was, you know, 
but I still loved writing and I still loved covering the sport. So I would freelance. I would do whatever I could. I'd write big takeout pieces. I would freelance. And then um, eventually I was offered a job with the new NASCAR.com when they rebooted that whole thing. And that turned out to be um, a really fantastic opportunity too. So um, what, when did you start with NASCAR.com? Do you remember? I believe it was 12, 2012. Uh-huh. And so at the 13. time, they, you were a reputable voice that they could bring in um, because they, they, I think they, they, they might have brought Kenny in. Around Kenny Bruce Kenny, and I, yes. Yeah. And um, David Caravello at that mm-hmm. point was there yeah. as well. So the three of us were the um, main journalists for NASCAR.com at that point. Yeah. And so um, what, how was it like... Um, being able to work for them and, you know, not feeling like um, things are going to change just at the drop of a hat, like with AOL, you know what I mean? That was definitely a better feeling, (laughs) a lot more comforting for me. Um, And they gave us a really great platform. They really redid the site Mm -hmm. in terms of what they had us do. And um, again, what I appreciated most was it wasn't just tell us about what happened in the race. It was tell us about the people in the race. Tell us about the crew. Let us do feature stories, long form stories, because I really believe that's how people... um, learn about the sport even more. I mean, obviously the racing is important. That's what it's all about. But I, I've always appreciated the behind the scenes and I feel like, uh, I feel like readers do too. And, um, NASCAR stuck with you. You obviously had a high profile battle with breast cancer and, um, you were able to, I, I know you've, you tried to do as much writing as you could during that time and kept plugging away. Personally, I don't know if I would have been able to do that. Like I would have been like, ah, um, I just gotta, I, I gotta deal with this, but it seemed like you were doing chemo and trying to write stories at the same time and things like that. Um, how, why did you want to keep working? Why was it it's so important to you to keep going, um, during that time and, and keep writing? Well, uh, to be perfectly honest with you, it was a way for me to feel like I was going to make it, that things were somewhat normal because my cancer was stage three and um, other breast cancer patients will know this. I'm HER2 positive, which is an extra enzyme of bad luck that only one in 10 people have and it makes it even harder to um, recover and it's just kind of an extra thumb in the side uh, to the treatment. So that was very difficult. But um, I did. I tried to take, and at the same time, friends of mine, Steve Burns was going through. It was really bizarre how we all had this going on at the same time. And then Sherry Pollux was diagnosed. And so the three of us would often joke, we would be texting, and, you know, I'm in chemo, I'm in chemo, I'm in chemo. You know, wow. this. <laughs> It, it was it was really a bizarre time, but I remained so strengthened by them, and I was so grateful to NASCAR.com for not just, um, you know, letting me go because of all the extra medical issues, and they were so good to me and, and so supportive, and so were the readers, and Jeff, so were you, so were the people that we worked with. It makes me emotional because sometimes you don't find out how fantastic your friends are until they're put to the test after you're put to the test. Mm-hmm. So I feel like you having gone through this and not just like a short period of time, but you had to deal with a couple times and for, for a long, uh, hard battle. Um, what perspective did you, have you sort of like gained about whether it's life or, or the industry or the career? Cause like, I don't know. I feel like it's kind of easy for me to get jaded sometimes or just, you know, you get caught up in the grind of this and, 
just like, oh, you know, but you're able to see things that I feel like a little bit differently. Um, what, what perspective did you, did you get, I guess, get during that time? Well, I think you probably hear this from a lot of cancer patients on appreciating the day on every day. I can remember going to bed and I, my children were in junior high, middle school at the time, and I never wanted them to worry. So I always, I eventually got so sick and I've had many complications arise out of it. So it was kind of hard to like completely shield them, but I tried so hard and you know, I just, I felt like the best part of it is knowing that you just have to dig deep and you have to let the little stuff go and you can't get upset about it. And I am just so thankful to have every day. I would go to bed at night and pray to God that I wasn't going to die. And I mean, I really mean that I wasn't just like, I'm not just saying that like those would be my prayers all day long. Please God, let me see my son graduate. Let me see my daughter graduate, you know, Mm -hmm. things like that. And it just changes your entire perspective. But it also helps you appreciate the joy in life, too. And like you said, you know, I kind of do look at things. I don't get all crazed out by little whatevers, you know, and also helps you really to appreciate the people around you and to recognize your friends. And and um, I I'm very blessed, very, very, very blessed by the friends and people in my life. So is it I guess having that is it frustrating to see people have the little gripes or do you understand like i don't know i guess if, if i had that perspective and people were like whining about the wi-fi like or something like we were earlier today, no you, so know, you know what, what I, mean? I think to myself but at least you didn't have to find out like i did that it's okay yeah <laughs> just look over at me i will give you the peace sign and tell you it's gonna be all right <laughs> yeah i mean that has to be kind of nice though i feel like to have that perspective and those i mean Obviously, you don't want to do it the way that you had to get right. that perspective. Right, but, the hard-earned way. But. Right, sure. But it'd be nice if people could, like myself, could understand that and appreciate that and, and uh, be reminded of that every day, um, having your lesson without having to experience that themselves. You know what I mean? Or pe- somebody listening to this. Well, I, I hope so. You know, it's just like kind of, I joke, and you are like the man of Twitter. So I look up to all of your things. And one thing that I try and do on my Twitter account, which doesn't have nearly the people that you do, I always try and find something positive. Like I, I will not, you will very rarely if ever see that I've done. I mean, I always try and share that because it's easy to go one way or the other, but going positive not only helps you, but it helps the people that you're around. And I know this sounds, I I don't mean for it to sound trite because I genuinely believe that. I mean, I'm always the girl that was given the peace sign my whole life. I always did that, and I really mean it, and especially now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, any final thoughts as far as like, because right now this is a very tough time to get into journalism, and, um, you know, I get people, I'm sure you, you have the same thing, people like, oh, well, you know, I'm in college, or I'd really like to become a NASCAR writer, or, you know, I, I have a passion for racing. How do I do it? Um do you think there's still a path for people to have the kind of career that you have and where, where do they start these days? Should, should they stick with the traditional route or what do you recommend? I think that's a great question. And I'm kind of torn on it because I obviously see the way social media has gone and and it's the quick hit. And frankly, you don't even necessarily have had to study journalism to be able to do some of the quick 
whatevers that Mm -hmm. are sent out that way. I do believe that there is something to be said for the art of writing, for the art of asking other people for doing interviews instead of you making an assumption, talk to the person, interview them, and don't just talk to the one person. You want to talk to several others about that person. I I know it's it's an art that's being lost, journalism, but um, I feel like the best are ones that maybe go about things like we used to, kind of like we had to. I, um, I love the fact, though, that people want to come in and tell stories, but that's what they've got to do. They've got to tell stories. It should never be about the journalist. It's about the story, and it's about the subject you're getting up you're writing about Mm -hmm. or you're telling the story about it's not about the journalist and I think that's going to be the important thing because I think uh, I think now it's a little easier for that to get lost in it all yeah absolutely well Holly thank you so much for taking the time and sharing your story I'm really glad that I got to learn some things as well so I appreciate it thank you Jeff for asking me to do this I know this is so well received by people and I I really am honored thank you thanks All right, everybody, so there you have it. Thanks to Holly for her time, and thanks to her as well for the dose of much-needed perspective. I think um, it's easy to get lost in the little things sometimes, and sometimes we just all need to appreciate where we are, what we have a bit more. So um, thank you to her for that. Coming up on the next edition of the Untitled Jeff Gluck podcast, it's going to be a post-race podcast from the Roval. It's going to be a crazy weekend there. I don't know what's going to happen but I'm going to break it down afterwards with CJ Walliver, who is from Fox Sports, does the social media there. Been trying to find a time to get him on the podcast. He hasn't done a post-race podcast before, so uh, the Roval seemed like a good time because it's going to be wild and crazy, so we should have a lot to talk about. And then Tuesday will be a 12 questions with Justin Haley, where he will answer Clint Boyer's bewildering question that didn't make sense to him. But uh, if you didn't listen to Clint Boyer's 12 questions interview, um, great response to that. People are saying that was one of their favorites of this year, if not their favorite. So make sure to go back and listen to that interview because people seem to get quite a kick out of that. Folks, if you're doing any online shopping coming up in the next couple weeks or so, please remember to use my link jeffgluck.com slash Amazon. Type that into your browser. It takes you to the Amazon homepage and you continue your shopping as normal. No extra cost to you, but I get a referral fee commission thing from Amazon, and that helps me spend money on everyday purchases and things like that. With the baby coming, we're definitely gonna be using that as our diaper fund. So uh, again, that's of no cost to you. If you just go to jeffgluck.com slash Amazon, we would appreciate it. And also appreciate you for listening to this episode. So I'll talk to you next time on the Unsitled Jeff Gluck Podcast.